You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Short reading, short sermon. We'll see how we go with that. <laughs> okay, good morning. Welcome to church. Hey, if you're new here, a warm welcome again to the folks who are here for Otis's dedication. We hope that you felt warmly welcome. Hope you got a good coffee in the foyer. Maybe you'll get one later on. For anyone else who is new or visiting, we hope you find this a, 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 an enjoyable experience. Maybe this is a new thing for you to be at church. Maybe it's an, an old thing come new again. And so we hope and pray that this is a great experience for you this morning. We hope you're welcomed by our young church. Well, we are fourth week into our new series. Is it still new if it's four weeks? We'll see how we go. It's into our series called Life Together. We're taking eight weeks to talk about what Harborside's really on about. What does Harborside Church really care about? What are our values? If I'm going to be part of this church, what am I signing up to? What's this church on about? What does this church really care about? What do we prioritize? What do we spend time on during our service? So the first week, we spoke about prayer, key foundational value of prayer. We ain't going anywhere without prayer. Like that? Bit of Kanye. No, I'm kidding. I'm trying to be rapid. <laughs> we ain't going anywhere without prayer. The last two weeks, we've had guest preachers from our partners we want to partner with. The first one was Baptist World Aid. We heard from Marbs talking about how we can partner with really needy people in Nepal. We want to start a partnership there. And so last week, we, talked, uh, we heard from Gabriel from Open Doors sharing with us about the plight of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing it real tough, who are suffering for their faith. How can we partner with them? How can we help them? And so because of that, what we've done is we've launched something called the Beyond Fund. If I could get one of these, thanks so much. Our mission here is to proclaim the hope of Jesus to Mossman and beyond, right? God's divinely placed us here, hasn't he? We are geographic beings. God's placed us here in Mossman. So we want to proclaim the hope of Jesus here. But you know what? We also want to be about something beyond these walls. So how can we be generous beyond here? And so we've started the Beyond Fund. And we want to collect funds on behalf of both of these organizations. And once we do that, we're going to split it off 50-50. Every single cent will go to 50-50, both to the organizations. Amazing work. We'd love to raise about $30,000. And so what we do, uh, we're going to close this off in a few weeks' time because we want to let these guys know towards Christmas what kind of money we can give them for the awesome work they can do. So you can look at the back here. You can, uh, there's, there's lots of ways you can give. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that to you to work out. But they're beyond fun, right? That's what we've been talking about. So this week I'm going to be building on this idea of generosity. I'm going to be talking more about generosity today What does it mean to have a Christian perspective on money? How can Christians think Christianly when it comes to money? What is the Christian philosophy when it comes to money and finances? Every week we take up an offering at church. We've been talking, we're talking about the Beyond Fund. We've talked about the Melrose Fund, which was our building uh, fundraising thing. Um, And every now and then we get up here and we tell you how the budget's going. So we talk about money here. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? What's the Christian philosophy around money and giving? Now, you might be thinking, great, I'm a visitor and I've come for the money talk. (laughs) Well, I'm so sorry, we've now locked the doors and so you cannot leave. 
But you know what? You might be thinking, why does the money? Sorry, why does the church have to teach about money? Shouldn't you be about heavenly things? Why are you getting so practical like that? It seems a bit awkward. It might even seem a bit crass. Why do you want to talk about money? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. The first reason is Jesus spoke a lot about money. I don't know if you know that, but he talked a lot about money. And so we're going to talk a little bit about money, okay? Another reason is simply because money and finances, it's a part of our life, isn't it? Christian or not, it's an integral part of our lives. And following Jesus is either a whole of life thing or a nothing at all thing. We follow him in every area of our life, our sexuality, our finances, our marriage, our work life, every area of our life or not at all. Jesus is either Lord of our life or he's not, right? And so we've got to think, how do we think Christianly about money? Now, just before we launch into this, I want to say there is so much to say on this topic. Yesterday, I deleted another whole sermon and a half out of my sermon. Here's a whole topic we could do. I'm not going to be able to say everything today, okay? I'm not going to be able to say everything, but I think we can say something timely and important based on Jesus' famous teaching we heard read to us by Jackie before, okay? So we're just, that's where we're going to sort of live, and we're going to look at what Jesus can teach us about finances. And I think there's a rhythm in those few verses, and here's, I think, what it is. Jesus articulates in verses 19, 20, and 21, he articulates the struggle we all face, he articulates the opportunity we have, and then he gets right to the heart of the matter, as Jesus does so well. So that's going to be our rhythm for this morning, okay? The struggle we face, the opportunity we have, and the heart of the matter. And then we're actually going to get really practical. I hope that's okay. We're going to get really practical towards the end of the message. I know you're excited. Are you excited? Are you with me? Oh, fantastic. We're going to get stuck in looking at the struggle we face. Here we go. Let's look at our first verse of our passage today. So well known, is it? This is Jesus' words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, or the old translation, moth and rust, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus here articulates the struggle we all face when it comes to money, to use it for ourselves on things that aren't really worthy of our financial investment. Now, notice how Jesus uses that, do not store up for yourselves. You get that idea of sort of hoarding, of gathering up, of stockpiling. That's not a good idea when it comes to money. Don't hoard, stockpile, gather for yourself, and then don't use it on things that we think will help us in our lives, like clothes, which moth can destroy, and jewelry and shiny things, which thieves can steal. This is, this is a trap when it comes to money. What a shame if we spend all our money on things that rust and fade over time. Of course, we have to spend money on those things to live in this world, but what a shame if we invested all we had into those things because they eventually fade and wear out. I remember we were having our third baby, little Micah. He's hardly a baby now. He's four and a half or whatever he is now. And uh, we had to get a new car. You know that decision, man, we've got to get a new car. We can't fit all three kids in this car that we currently have. So we looked online. We found a great deal. It was almost new. Like, it looked really good. I had to fly down south to go and pick it up, and I drove eight hours home. This Man, the inside was beautiful. We'd never had a car so nice. Like, it was just vacuumed perfectly. And there was no dings or anything like that. It was so nice. Let me tell you, it took about two weekends for the inside of that car to look like a tip. 
And if you're a, a young parent, you'll know what I'm talking about. Pretzels, crushed M&M's, sultanas. I don't know. Oh, man, why do we feed the kids in the car so much? I, no, I do know why. It's to keep them quiet. Um, but it doesn't take long for that shiny vehicle to get scratches, to get dings. Even yesterday, I was looking at the boot. I was like, where did this ding come from? But I didn't yell at my wife because it's probably my fault. But um, the shiny things just become not so shiny so quickly. And you know what I'm talking about. You've been to the mall, you look at that shirt or that outfit or whatever it is, a few washes, a few wears, and it just loses its zing, doesn't it? It might be a shiny new set of golf clubs. It might be something even bigger. I don't know. But I tell you what, it doesn't take long for it to wear off, does it? The shininess to wear off. You see, in this passage, Jesus is giving us far more than just a simple command, okay? He's giving us a bigger vision, for how we can use our money. And part of that vision, part of that bigger picture, is to build up our discernment right, and recognize the challenges that we're all going to face when it comes to this topic, right? So we're going to build up our discernment. We're going to recognize how people view their money and should we view it in the same way. Before we go any further on this topic, I think, it's, again, it's important to say Jesus isn't naive with how the world works. Right? He's not naive. He knows what things cost. He knows Sydney is a crazy expensive city. He knows what house prices are like. He knows. He knows what things cost. Jesus doesn't just throw out statements that are disconnected to reality. Jesus elsewhere in the New Testament commands his followers to be innocent as doves and as shrewd as snakes. In the parable of the shrewd manager, which I always struggle with, Jesus seems to commend the character in the story for his almost questionable use of his position to win favour with his master's clients, right? Jesus isn't asking us to be foolish when it comes to money, okay? He's not asking us to be foolish, but he is asking us to exercise our faith. Not foolish, but faith. Christians can't be just so heavenly minded that we're no good when it comes to financial management. No way. Christians can be good with money, can be good at making money. But part of having a bigger vision for our finances is working hard at not being deceived and not just going along with how everybody else uses and views their money. So as followers of Jesus, we've got to do a bit of hard work and we've got to understand a few things about money, okay? Now, the first thing I think is to know this. Money is so uncertain, it is not worthy of our trust. Hear that? Money is so uncertain, it is not worthy of our trust. Let's look at 1 Timothy to help us here. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, everyone in this room might not think of themselves as rich, and of course, there's going to be a wide variety of incomes and wealth in this room, of course. But in terms of a world standard of living, I think we can all agree that we're somewhere pretty high in the percentages, or pretty low, whatever it is. We're pretty high when it comes to the world standard of living. But regardless of that, the country we live in, right, the city we live in, even the area we live in, the air we breathe is incredibly aspirational, isn't it? I mean, people aspire here to have a wealthy life. We do aspire to have a wealthy lifestyle to store up for ourselves, whether you have wealth actually or not. 
If you ask someone, and they took some time to answer, what's the good life? Answer someone, what, what's the good life? Not everyone might have winning the lotto as their answer, but I think a lot of people would have a sizable chunk of money in their answer, right? What's the good life? Well, having enough, which probably equals a lot more than enough. I remember hearing the word security mentioned a lot growing up, particularly when we were looking at uh, university degrees to take and jobs to take, particularly when I was thinking about being a full-time rock musician, heard about security, and particularly when moving into ministry full-time. You hear the word security used a lot. You want to be secure. You want to make sure that you're secure. You want to make sure you have financial security. Now, that's absolutely true. I think we do want to have good financial security. We want to be wise. We want to be a good steward of what God gives us. We don't want to be an unnecessary burden on other people. But if you're looking for true security in money, your trust has been misplaced. Why? What does the passage say? Because it's so uncertain. It's not worthy of our hope because it can't actually deliver on its promises. Here's a kind of interesting example. Here's a picture of a few children playing with millions and millions of dollars in German marks. This was uh, between the world wars in Germany and the Weimar Republic, and their economy had collapsed, a lot to do with their punishment, um, financial punishment after World War I. Their economy collapsed, and this, of course, helped to, um, create the climate for the rise of Hitler. This is at a time when one loaf of bread cost 4.2 million marks. People were taking barrels and barrels of money to the bread store to buy a loaf of bread. And of course, their economy completely collapsed. This is what can happen. Now, you might be thinking, come on, that was like 100 years ago, and that was in pretty tumultuous times. Well, this is a $100 trillion note from the African nation of Zimbabwe. It was only a few decades ago. Their economy collapsed. Their, economy, their currency became absolutely worthless. Now, still, you might be thinking, okay, closer in time, but still a long way away. I mean, that was due to, like, you know, unrest and, and bad government decisions. Okay. But the GFC was a real thing, yeah? I mean, we moved over to America in 2000 and, end of 2007 at the height of the GFC. Not a very good time to try and be in a rock band where people are pretty skint. On money, we saw people lose their houses, their jobs, their businesses, and found it really hard to find work again. Some of these people, these things are real. Australia also is not immune, has not been immune. Let me tell you, friends, we are not in control of interest rates, house pricings, the fluctuation of the stock exchange, and of course, Donald Trump's crazy antics with China about the trade deal. We are not in control of those things. Now, I am not trying to make us fearful. I don't think fear has anything to do with this. I'm not trying to make us fearful, but I am trying to help us take God's word seriously. Wealth, so uncertain. Jesus says, don't put your hope in it. It's not worthy of it. But we know the one who is. What else as followers of Jesus do we need to be aware of? Well, you've heard this before. Okay, so if money is so uncertain, it's not worthy of our trust, what else? Money, there'll never be enough. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. 
Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Pretty clear, isn't it? These are the words of the teacher, the author of this book in the Old Testament of Ecclesiastes, who experienced this in his life, accumulated enormous amounts of wealth and just discovered the hollowness of devoting his life to it. Not that long ago, there was a survey done in Australia and they asked people if they were content with their level of income. And if they were or weren't, if they weren't, how much more would they need to really feel content? Well, the uh, results are pretty interesting. Pretty much everyone, regardless of income bracket, said they weren't satisfied. And pretty much everyone, regardless of their income bracket, said just 10 or 15% and that'd be enough. So people who are earning about $80,000 said just 10 or 15% more then would be fine, then that'd be good. But the thing is, people earning about 115000 said just 10 or 15% more and then we'll be right. The problem is then people earning about 150000 you know what, 10 or 15% and so on and so on, regardless of income bracket. When will it be enough? Never. We shouldn't be surprised at this, right? If money and the accumulation of it's where we're looking for meaning, hope, purpose, satisfaction, the Bible says that day of, yes, I finally made it, will never come. It's not going to come. It'll never be enough. Okay, that's part of the struggle we all face living in this world as Christians. Let's look at the opportunity we have. The opportunity we have. Verse 20 from our reading today from Matthew 6. Jesus says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus now gives us the other side of the teaching, right? Don't invest your money in things that don't last, that eventually end up in landfill or can get stolen instead. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moths and rust and you can't get to, they can't break it down and where thieves can't break in and steal. Now it sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds lovely. What on earth does he mean? What does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? What does it mean? Is there a literal bank account? Ladies and gentlemen, yes, there is. It's the Harborside Church bank account. If you could just... <clears throat> what, but what does he mean? Is there a bank account, a heavenly bank account? Well, not literally, of course. So what does Jesus mean? I think the rest of the 1 Timothy 6 passage really helps us Figure this out. Let's have a look together. Command them to do good. That's us. That's people with cash, wealthy people. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? Be rich in good deeds. Is that how we achieve eternal life? Absolutely not. We trust in the saving work of Christ. But how do we store up treasure in heaven? Be rich in good deeds. Be generous, willing to share. This is how we store up treasure in heaven, and that equals life that is truly life. Man, let's be cool. Because moth and rust can't destroy investing in human beings. Thieves can't steal from the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying investing into the kingdom of God is worthy. It's worthy of your investment. You and I have the opportunity to sow into the kingdom of God. 
think about that for a moment. Just think about it. Don't you want to do good things with your money? I know you do. I know I do. Don't you want to see the kingdom of God break into this world more right here and elsewhere? We can actually financially invest in that. Don't you want to see people blessed? People's lives change through the good news of the gospel? Do you want to see young people taught about the goodness of our Heavenly Father? Do you want to see women freed from sex slavery? People given a micro loan so they can give themselves a leg up out of poverty. Doesn't that excite you? We can invest into the kingdom right here and right now. And let me say this. There are amazing things that have happened that would never have happened if godly men and women hadn't invested their money into it. And there are things that will never happen if godly men and women don't invest into them. And let me say this, this church is one of them. We would not be here if it weren't for the radical generosity of some incredible people. Godly men and women that said, reaching the lost, I want to invest in that. Seeing a pretty much dead church come back to life, I want to invest in that. Seeing young kids taught that they're not an accident, but they are a creation of a loving God, I want to invest in that. Seeing people come to the Alpha course and learn about who Jesus is and what he's done for them, I want to invest in that. Amazing coffee, I want to invest in that. (laughs) Because as followers of Jesus, we know that this life is not all there is, don't we? We have a window into the future, into what is to come. We know that because of Christ, we have an enormous inheritance. And so because of that, we can look at our earthly finances and we can be wildly promiscuous. Because we know this is not all there is. We've got something better coming. Doesn't that free us? That is the freedom of Christ when it comes to our finances because we know what true riches really are. Let me say, I reckon we've all heard the saying, money can't buy happiness, right? Money can't buy happiness. But I tell you what, money can buy happiness when you use it to help others. I really believe this. We are... We've got some good friends of ours that we kind of grew up with and they, they decided to be missionaries. And so they went overseas for a few years and uh, they had a really tough time of it, a really tough time. And uh, it was hard, language and, man, it was, it was really hard ground where they were. And they came back on furlough and um, they were absolutely exhausted. And we saw them and we could just see the tiredness in their eyes. You know what I mean when you just see someone absolutely exhausted Now, they came back and their organisation was taking care of them and their basic needs were met. They're from here and so they were staying with some family in sort of one bedroom with, you know, the four of them, two little kids in the one bedroom. And Pip and I just got together and we thought, how can we bless these guys? We want to bless them. We want to show them the extravagant generosity of the kingdom of God. And so we know they love the beach. They were staying about an hour and a half away from the beach, way out west. And so we just said to them, with your permission, we would love to just book some accommodation for you right on the beach for a week. We just want to bless you guys. I tell you what, money can buy happiness when you use it to help other people. I don't say this to big up ourselves. Aren't we amazing? I'm just sharing it to let you know that this is possible. We put little little amounts of money aside, and we want to just bless these guys so they could experience the lavish generosity of God because we believe in a generous God, do we not? Was he stingy toward us? He gave his all. He gave his son, 10% of his son, 
all of his son, how could we not be the same in thinking about generosity? I believe that was investing in the kingdom of God. Man, it felt good. I had tears in my eyes when I was booking that accommodation. It truly is more blessed to give, to, to give yeah, more blessed to give than receive. You and I, we've got the opportunity to invest, invest in the kingdom of God. What an opportunity. Okay. We've looked at the struggle we all have with the face, the struggle we all face, the opportunity we have. Now let's get to the heart of the matter, which I think is Jesus' favorite thing to do. Let's have a look. The heart of the matter. Let's finish things off here, and then we're going to get real practical. Our final verse of our reading here, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a nice, a nice pithy saying, but what does it really mean? There your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, the reason I think that we struggle to be generous, to give much or anything to the local church, maybe fitfully or small amounts or where we remember, or the reason we struggle to be generous, it's not a budgeting issue. It's not an organization issue. Man, we've just got to get down and we've got to make sure we're going to... It's not primarily, primarily an organizational issue. It's a heart issue. Let me say that again. The reason we struggle to be generous, it's not a budgeting issue, it's a heart issue. Jesus talks about treasure several times in this passage, doesn't he? That seems to be the key. What do you treasure most? What do we treasure most? What do we ascribe most value to? Whatever that is, that gets our attention. It gets our affection and it gets our cash. Tim Keller, a pastor in the U.S., says this, which I think is incredibly helpful. Money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. Money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. Whatever we value most, we could say worship, whatever we value most, that gets our dollars. What is it in your life that it's never a struggle for you to buy? You never have to even think about it. You just do it. Maybe that's where our treasure is. Is it telling us something? Money is not necessarily the idol, but gee, it's good at revealing what really is. Money flows effortlessly to that which we value most. So because that's true, it changes, I think, the way we view things. It changes the way I think I teach on it, right? And it changes the way I try and motivate us to, or at least help us think about how to be generous. Because we want to be a generous church, don't we? We want to be a generous church. Okay. But there are a number of ways I could talk about money and help motivate us to give. I could work on our will, right? I could work on our will. God sees you. He sees everything. He knows what's in your bank account. He knows what you're doing. He knows what percentage you're giving. I could work on your will like that. You got God's money in your pocket. Let's say that. Believe me, I've heard that a few times in church. Well, I could try and do that, work on our will. And in doing so, what's going to happen? I'll get a religious duty-bound response filled with fear and guilt. I'd better do it or God's going to get me. Work on the will. But you know what? It doesn't work. It doesn't last for long. It doesn't bring transformative change. We're playing on the surface so we could work on the will. We could work on the emotions, right, which is an easy one. I could put, we'd, we'd love to put on a kid's worker or two next year. I could put up beautiful pictures of our kids 
in the kids' ministry up there, and I'd say, how dare you hold on to your money? Look at these children. I could do that. I could do that. Or I could put up pictures of our partners in Nepal or in other various parts of the world we're trying to support. I could put them up and say, how dare you hold on to your money? Look at these people in need. And I could play on your emotions. But the problem with that is it works just for a little while. It, it, it evokes an emotional response and maybe we could get a lot of money raised, even right this day, if I played on those emotions. But it doesn't bring lasting change because it's a heart issue. It's not an emotional issue. So we could work on the will, we could work on the emotions, or I could work on the mind. Some of us are really like that. God has made us that way. We're analytical. I could put up all the, this is the way, invest in our church, and these are the ways we're going to do it. We've thought about it long and hard, and if we give to our partners, these are the ways that our kingdom investment is going to come like this, and I could work on the mind like that. Now, that's good. That is a really good thing to do, to know where our money is going. But the problem with just looking at it like that is it's inadequate to transform our financial vision. What we must work on is the heart because it's a heart issue. Okay, how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, where we spend our money does reveal where our treasure is, Jesus says. So the only way to break the power of the deception of money is to replace it with the treasure of Christ then money will effortlessly flow there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, when we have Jesus Christ as our treasure, we can be radically generous because, as I said before, he's been radically generous to us. He gave away heaven to come and find you. That's what he did. Just think about that for a moment. He gave away heaven to find you. He gave his very life for you. When that becomes so real to us, it melts our hearts and it changes our vision for finances forever. When we know truly deep down in our hearts that God did that for me, he endured poverty for me, he endured abandonment, betrayal, endured the pain and the shame of the cross for me. But hang on, that's what I deserve and he got it. He did that for me. He gave his all. For you and I, when we know this, we are radically changed in every area of our lives. Let me tell you this as we close. Jesus Christ is the only treasure that will not enslave you. Everything else we put there, money included, will demand everything from us and will never deliver on its promise. Jesus Christ is the only one who, instead of demanding everything from you and will kill you to get it, he will die for you instead. You see? He is the only treasure that will do that for you. Okay, let's finish by getting real practical. I hope that's okay as we're talking about finances. Let's get real practical. What does it really look like on the ground to have a Christian vision for our finances? Well, there's going to be varying opinions, but I'm the one with the microphone, so here's the one I think. No, thanks for the laughter. It's helpful. Anytime, Jackie. Anytime. Anytime. I believe the Bible does teach that followers of Jesus should give a portion of their income to the church they belong to and to people in need. I believe that. The Old Testament teaches about sort of 10% or higher giving. It's what we call a tithing. Now, what's the principle of tithing? The principle of tithing is it's off the top. First fruits. Have you heard that before? The first fruits. Not before everything else is deducted and then we take a percentage of what's left. No, no, no. If God is our all and we treasure him above all else, he gets off the top. So in the Old Testament, 
10%. It's actually, when you add up all the festivals and all the other things they're supposed to give, it looks a heck of a lot more like 30%. But let's go with maybe about 10%. But the New Testament doesn't teach that. I do still think, though, the principle of first fruits matters. I think it counts off the top, right? Not after we give everything, not after the entertainment budget's worked out, all that kind of stuff. No, no, it's off the top. The New Testament, I think, alludes to that. But I think most importantly, the New Testament talks about generosity. What does generosity mean? Well, let's talk about that. So I think, as a guide, believers, we should consider giving a portion of our income to the work of God. Now, in this room, there's going to be people all over the map when it comes to this. All over the map. For some of us, we've never given anything to the church before. Now, if that's you, I want you to stand up right now. I'm kidding. I'm not saying that. For some of us, we've never given anything before to the church and so, or to, the, or to the work of the gospel. So you might think, what jumping to 10% of my income is enormous. I get it. I've been there. I struggled with this. And when I came to full-time working, I thought, am I going to take this seriously? That feels like a lot of, a lot of dollars. So if that's you, my encouragement to you is just start with something. Start with something. Start with 2%. Sit down and do it. Let me ask you this. You trust God with your eternity, you can trust him with your finances. That's the truth. So sit down, work it out. If you've got a partner, then talk about it with them. But say, do it according to your level of faith. If your level of faith, oh, I don't know if we can start with 1%, start with 2%. Maybe you can start with 5 Hey, maybe you can start with 10 But whatever it is, start. Start with something. Give God a go. He is worthy of your trust, much more than money is. So if you've never done anything before, it's an alien concept to you, I encourage you, start with something. Um, okay, who else? All right, so maybe there's some of us here, we're almost done here. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, right, and you've been giving little bits and pieces to the church. When you remember, when you can, when you remember, when the offering goes by, oh, yeah, okay, I've got $25, here's some change as well. You know, when you remember, or when you remember, you might sort of uh, transfer some money. When you can, when you remember. Well, let me ask you this. When it comes to your financial vision for your life, do you tip God or do you tithe to him? What more explains you? Do you tip him or do you tithe? What more explains you? Do you tip God or here's some change? Hey, thanks very much, God. Appreciate it. Is that you? Or does your giving resemble careful, planned, considerate, generous giving? You tip or is it more like tithe? I tell you what, it's been a journey for Pip and I. I'll speak just for myself. When I started out as a Christian, you could describe my giving as fitful and not well thought out. More like tipping. Hey, thanks, God. Appreciate everything you've done. But it took some organization and conviction to sit down and say, okay, how much are we going to give? Whoa, that much? All right. We take a percentage off the top. We set it aside and we give it to the local church. And then we take some other money aside because we know we want to give to things like the Melrose Fund and the Beyond Fund and the other organizations. And we'd love to have a bit of money there to bless people as well. It takes organization. Sit down and do it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been giving a regular, considered amount to the church for a long time. I want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. But you know what? Maybe it's time to check in again. Because maybe what looked like generous 10 years ago isn't as generous. Maybe it's time for you to think about how you could be generous. 
It's a challenge for every single one of us in the room, right? Tip and I are just thinking, okay, well, what does it mean for us? Can we increase our giving, our percentage giving? It might hurt, but I tell you what, if it doesn't have anything to do with sacrifice, it ain't Christian giving. Okay, I've said a lot here this morning. I hope you're feeling encouraged, and I hope you're feeling maybe a bit of conviction by the Holy Spirit. I reckon we need to pray. We need to ask God that he would truly be our treasure. Do you need that encouragement? I know I do. Let our money flow effortlessly to Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would just fill our hearts with the goodness of the gospel. We do ask that. It's easy to say, yep, my treasure's with you, God, and in you. But the reality is, it's hard. And there's a lot of other competing things in our life. It's an expensive city. And Lord, we struggle. If we're honest, we struggle to trust you with our finances. Some of us here might be thinking, but I thought... If I really gave all of my finances, as in a whole vision of finances to you, God, I think you'd hold out on me and I think I'd miss out. Lord, if that's any of us in this room, and I can relate to that, Lord, would you remind us of what you've given us in Christ? You've given us everything. You want what's best for us. You are our great Father who loves us. And so I ask collectively as a church that we would be known as a generous church. Generosity that raises eyebrows, that invests in your kingdom work here and elsewhere. Lord, we need you. We cannot change without you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.